Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And we ask, God, that you would speak to us, Lord. Lord, we know that you're speaking to us. We know that you will speak to us. But Lord, I pray that we would not only listen, but we would act upon your words, Father. I pray, God, that the words that I share would be your words, Lord, and not mine, and that, Lord, you'd just be glorified in and through this time. Thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us, Lord, and may we be impacted by what you have to say, Lord. There's so much that we have to learn, and that's our desire today. So go before us now, Lord. Uh, keep us, Lord, in that place of just being ever so close to you, Lord, impacted by you day by day. So, Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Revelation chapter 3. This, of course, in my opinion, is perhaps one of the most difficult passages to teach through, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, perhaps the most predominant of these reasons is the fact that this passage is literally by probably 95% of the pastors that are out there, this passage is taught completely 100% dead wrong. Okay, so what you have been taught traditionally is probably not what you will see in this passage because this passage actually does a whole lot more to speak to our hearts. And so this is going to be interesting for us. I think we're going to enjoy this time. Now, with all that said, let's go back and talk about why these letters to these churches are so important. And throughout this series uh, called The Church Age... I have been emphasizing the importance of these letters and the reasons why they're important. The first and, and obvious reason that these letters are important is because Jesus saw it fit to take some time to write a letter to a specific church during a specific time period about very specific issues. And those issues were incredibly important to the Lord. Otherwise, he would not have written those letters. And so us, it's very important for us to tune in to these letters because we can learn from what these churches learned from. And that's a very, very important thing. You look at the context in which these letters were written. You look at the churches and what they were going through regionally, physically, spiritually, and we can learn a lot. We can actually draw a lot of information from that. The second reason why these letters are important is because each and every single one of these letters represent a certain portion of what I like to call the church age. In other words, from the time the church was born, of course, represented by the letter to the church in Ephesus, right, to the current time represented by the time period, of course, uh, of Laodicea, right? We see these churches representing very specific time periods. And when these time periods are over, in other words, when the church age is over, we get to Revelation chapter four, which at the very beginning says, after these things, after what things? After the church period, right? After the church age. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. And so the church, uh, the letter to the church in Laodicea is an important one because of course it is for that reason. It represents different time periods. Now, the last reason why these letters are so important and specifically why this letter is so important is because Jesus, at the end of each and every single one of these letters, he says what? He says, he who has a what? Ear. Let him what? Ear. And we have two ears, don't we? Right? So we need to be listening to what Jesus is saying, to what the Spirit says to the churches. That's incredibly important. And this is why we need to take heed because really it's not just a letter to the church corporately, but it's a letter to you and me individually. And it's incredibly important that we grasp that, that we hold on to it, and that we understand why it's so valuable and why it's so important. So let's look what it says here as we jump into chapter 3. 
and we, we look at verse 14, it says, Now unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans, uh, church of the Laodiceans right now. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the Laodicea, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that region and that area, uh, because uh, truth be told, it sort of falls along the same line as many of these other churches, okay? Pretty rich city. In many ways, it was a city that birthed some people of great prominence. And um, suffice it to say, the city doesn't exist anymore. It went, it fell by the wayside, kind of fell apart, doesn't really exist. And I could spend roughly 20 minutes talking about the historicity of this city and talk about why it's so valuable to the current context in which we're speaking, but it's not as relevant to the message that's trying to be communicated to us. So we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. We should probably get into the actual value of the context of what Jesus is trying to say and we need to be paying attention to that because the message here is far more valuable than the history of the city although I would highly recommend that you go back and look at that there's a lot you can learn about the history of the city particularly uh, a a specific river that ran through a body of water that ran through five miles and at the end of that five mile point it sort of got to Laodicea um, and uh, there's some interesting uh, implications there that you could look into but not as relevant to the passage really uh, it's not going to enhance much of anything that you're going to get out of this so I'm choosing to stay away from it simply because we have so much more material to go over so we're writing to the church of the Laodiceans and then notice what he goes on to say. He refers to himself this way. He says, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now we're going to stop at this verse because there is a lot of things that Jesus is saying about himself and they're all very important for us to get to, okay? The first word that he refers to himself with is the word the amen. Now, this is a word that many of us don't understand because it's a common word that we always say, right? We pray for our food. God bless the food for nourishment of our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen, right? Or I'll open up the Bible study. I'll say, in Jesus' name, amen, and you guys go, amen. Or at the end of my study, I always give my characteristic, amen, and you guys go, amen. And most of the time, you're saying amen because it's the end of the study. It means you can go to lunch. But truth be told, it's a word that we throw around a lot, but we really don't understand the implications of the power associated with this word. See, amen is a word that can oftentimes be translated in the King James. It's the same Greek word that can be translated verily. So when you hear Jesus say, verily, verily, I say unto you, he's saying most definitely, right? The word amen here is actually carries a much stronger uh, implication than just simply verily. The implication of the word amen is so be it, let it be permanent. Don't ever let it stray from that. May it be that way. May it be set in stone. May it never go anywhere else. May it stay that way. And we throw around this word a lot and we don't really understand the implications of this word. I was uh, hearing myself uh, teaching through uh, the book of, I think it's Psalms. I'm listening to myself on the radio. I hate listening to myself on the radio because I identify 15, 20 mistakes every 10 seconds that I'm saying when I'm teaching. And so, you know, people, oh, Pastor James, that was such a blessing. Well, not to me, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. And so I'm listening to myself speaking about something, and I can hear a lady kind of faint in the audience going, amen. And she's saying amen, and I can hear myself getting a little, you know, okay, well, this is a bit disruptive. And she keeps saying amen as I'm saying something else, and she says amen. I think it's a lady's voice, or maybe a really high-pitched guy's voice. Amen. I don't know. <laughs> But at one point during the Bible study, I say something to the effect of, 
uh, yeah, it was a really tough time and I got my finger cut off when I did this or, or I got my finger cut open when I did this and the lady goes, amen! <laughs> and I stopped the study because I can't take it anymore and surprised my radio editor didn't cut it out. And I said, no, not amen! It's not an amen to that! You know, but in certain cultures, certain backgrounds, you go to certain church, they're saying amen to everything. I got in a car accident, Amen! You know, my, my, wa my wallet got stolen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Right? No. You're saying, so be it. Let it be permanent. You're saying, hey, may that be forever. I mean, think about it. That's what the word amen means. The word amen means may it be forever. So that's not a good thing. Sometimes it's a really bad thing if you say amen to the wrong thing. Right? I had a really tough day today. Amen. You know? Times have been rough. Amen? My dog died. Amen! Come on. You gotta use your head here. Amen is permanent. And when we say amen, there's nothing wrong with saying amen. Just make sure you know what you're saying amen to. When you say the word amen, the word amen exhibits that of something that is very permanent. It exhibits something like, hey, so be it. Let it be in stone. So when somebody would, were to come to you and say, Jesus Christ is Lord of all, you can say Amen. Somebody comes to you and they say, God is good. You can easily say amen because that's never going to change. It's something we put into stone. It's permanent. And as I've shared with you before, my dad was a very amen type of a person. My mom was a very amen type of person. You know what I mean when I say that? That means because it's the same implication of Jesus calling himself the amen. When he calls himself the amen, what he's basically telling us is this. Hey, pay attention. Because every word I share with you is set in stone. It will not move. It will not change. It will not be compromised. The culture can change. The, the, the world can change. People can change. Styles can change. Attitudes can change. Hearts can change. But guess what? I'm not changing. I'm not. So what I say goes, and I don't care what you feel. I don't care if you are marrying a homosexual partner. I don't care what it is you're doing in your life that is not pleasing to God. God's word isn't going to change because the culture is changing, right? And, and actually, I'm quite offended, by the way, when people talk about the, the progression that we've made towards walking away from racism and associating that with cultural issues and sexual type orientation issues. It's an absurd, absurd uh, comparison, Right? One is something you have no control over. The other one is something we have complete and full control over with the power of the Spirit of God, right? But the point is this. When God says something, he means it. It settles it. We're done. We're through. It's a wrap. God says it. Nothing in the world is going to... You don't have a little uh, you know, ticket that says, well, that, that works for me, but uh, it works for them. But for me, it's different. Look, if, no, God says amen. It's amen. Listen, my mom and my dad were that way. Look... I talked to somebody recently who said that it's really a bad thing to spank your children. You know, my mom and my dad would disagree. And, and of course, I would disagree because I remember when I was a kid, my dad would say something. Listen, every time my dad said something, it was an amen type of a thing. When my dad said something, my dad was not the type of man. My mom was not the type of woman that said, I'm going to count to three. And by the time I get to three, you're going to do this. There was no count to three. If they had to count to one, it was pop. Why? Because you're going to do what I said because what I said is not changing. You're a three-year-old. I'm not reasoning with a three-year-old. 
Am I going to sit down and three-year-old sit down and convince me to change my mind? Well, daddy, can you do it? Because, okay, honey, no problem. Let's put this on hallmarks. Forget that. That's nonsense. You don't reason with a little child, right? Well, don't get me wrong. There's certain levels you should reason with a child. Otherwise, you, you, you go into exasperation, of course. But you understand what I mean when I say that. The word is a final word. And, and this is the way Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is not going to sit there and reason with us, if you understand what I mean. When he says his word is his word, it's his word and it's not changing. That's the way it works. So God is saying, I'm the amen. This is Jesus saying, he's saying, my word is final. And that's the way it is. And we need to understand that. But notice what he also refers to himself as. Look what he goes on to say. He says, these things say the what? The faithful and true witness. Fidelity is a concept that we don't understand today, is it? Faithfulness is a concept that we don't understand. Loyalty is a concept that we don't understand. You look at the world today. If you, you know, 25 years ago, you would talk to somebody, you would ask them what they did for a living. And they would say, I've worked 30 years at this company and I'm getting to retire after 32 years. You talk to a kid today who's been out of high school and out of college for the last 12 years and you ask them what they've been doing for the last 12 years and they'll tell you about the last 12 jobs they've had. Well, I worked here and I worked there and I worked here and I worked there and I worked here and I worked there because we do not understand the concept of fidelity anymore. We don't understand the concept of loyalty and faithfulness. We don't understand the concept of consistency. It's something that is gone and it's removed from us. You look at the average person today and the average person today comes from a broken home where mom and dad did not commit themselves to one another. And it's such a sad story, but it's really true. I, I read an article the other day that just blew my mind. I was blown away. For those of you that are in law enforcement, you'll appreciate this. You don't even have to be in law enforcement to appreciate this. But it, the, the, the story which intrigued me, it's why I read the story because it was a picture of a very, very old man who was in a police uniform. He was in a sheriff's uniform and he had a long sleeve shirt on and on his long sleeve shirt, he had, ready for this, 15 hash marks on his, on his shirt. Now, the hash marks actually represent, each hash mark, for those of you that are not in law enforcement, represents five years on the job, okay? So this guy, ready for this, he started as a law enforcement officer at 23 years of age. And for 74 years, he has been consistently working as a law enforcement officer. He is 90-something years old and is the oldest sheriff's deputy alive right now. And I look at that man and I say, how incredible is that? Now, he's obviously not on the streets anymore. Get your hands up or any of that kind of thing. I mean, could you imagine? But it's incredible. Why? Because nobody is that way anymore. Nobody. You never hear stories like that. It's so, I mean, I don't want to say never, but it's rare to hear stories like that because we are not a culture of faithfulness anymore, are we? We're not, a, we, we're not that way. I mean, I see it here in the church. I, you know how many times I have people come to me, oh, Pastor James, we're coming to this church for sure, bro. God spoke to us. He told us we're coming here. And then two weeks later, they're at another fellowship, right? I'm really good at scaring people away, so that's not that much of a surprise. But we're not faithful. And how about truth? Truth is something that we're missing a lot too, isn't it? You know, there is no such thing as a true witness anymore. If you don't believe me, just watch the news. You want to know how you, you want to know how to know that the media is lying? Their lips are moving. That's how you know they're lying, right? 
If you want to know the newspaper is not telling the truth, there's print on the paper. That's how you know they're not telling the truth. And if you don't believe me, listen, I'm just telling you right now, take it from my perspective. During the almost 27-year tenure that I've been a pastor, every single time I've been stupid enough to give an interview to the media, they always brutalize and twist everything that I say. Right? Truth is something we don't see much anymore. People don't tell the truth. They lie on a regular basis. I never thought, and this is no condemnation to you because you guys are being Acts 17, 11 brains, right? But you, you would blow your mind if you knew how much throughout one service I see people fact-checking me. It's really funny. I'll give a Greek word or something. They pull out their phones and they look it up and they, it always looks like this. They got this intense look on their face and they type in the word and all that. And they're intense and they're looking and finally you hear this, you see this sigh of relief. Oh, and then they look up to you and believe you. It's funny because truth is something that we don't see much of anymore. So Jesus says this. He says, I'm the amen. He says, I'm faithful and I'm true. So I'm permanent. I'm never going to change and I never lie. I'm that kind of witness. By the way, the Greek word for witness here is the same word where we get the word martyr from, right? Which means he will effectively and clearly witness till the death. By the way, who is he a witness of? He's a witness of God, isn't he? Because he himself is God. And if you want to know what God looks like, what God thinks like, what God acts like, you can watch Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ will give you the closest insight you'll ever get to any of that stuff. Now, certainly there are many characteristics about God that we're never going to completely understand, but Jesus is the closest thing we're going to ever get to completely understanding or knowing God because Jesus Christ is God. So he is the faithful witness of those things, of those things which are true. And then he, uh, he, then he says this about himself. He says the beginning of the creation of God, which means he was there before creation even existed. He was there before creation even started. And it's funny because the same guy who was writing down this, this book of Revelation is the same guy that at the beginning of John pins down the words, In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In other words, Jesus Christ was there from the very beginning. That literally when the word Word of God spoke creation into existence, Jesus was already there. So he's the beginning of the creation of God, which means I've always been there and back up because I know better than you. That's basically what he's saying here. This is a heavy set of statements that he's making. And the reason why he's doing this, by the way, a little spoiler alert, the reason why he's doing this is because he's getting ready to hand down a very harsh rebuke. One that is absolutely necessary. And this is where I say it gets difficult for some people because I'm telling you this right now, the typical teaching about this is dead wrong. Let's get into the next few verses and we'll talk about this. Look at what Jesus says. He says, I know thy works. I don't have to spend a lot of time talking about that phrase because of course we've talked about that on a pretty regular basis. He says, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would rat that you were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Okay, common teaching on this passage. I'm going to have you participate. I'm going to have you regurgitate what is the common teaching. The common teaching is, if you are hot, what does hot mean? Come on, anybody yell it out. You're faithful. You're on fire. You're walking with God, right? And what does cold mean? You're not following God at all. You're rebelling against him. You're hating him, right? If that is the belief you have about this text, you are dead wrong. 
Well, Pastor James, every pastor I've ever heard teach it, teaches it this way. They're wrong. This passage, it is not taught that way. It's a horrible, horrible misappropriation of the text. It is not supposed to mean that. It doesn't mean that. It wasn't intended to mean that. Let's talk about what hot or cold means. Let's, let's just have a conversation about it for just one second. Hot. Did you guys ever notice this? I have a hot cup and a cold cup. Did you ever notice that? Every now and then you see me bring up a different cup, right? Okay, it's a weird thing. It's a, it's a little speaking trick, right? Um, one makes saliva go away in your mouth. One encourages saliva. So you always have a hot cup of coffee. You have a cold cup of water. It's a, it's a, it's a preaching trick, okay? If you can't do that, you just have to settle for water. It's kind of the way it works. Now, let's talk about hot for just a second, okay? Hot's important, isn't it? Listen, cold today. Southern California, 60 degrees. <laughs> That's a cold day, right? All of our friends that are listening to us on the radio that are on the East Coast and, and on the other side of the Mississippi are hating me right now as I'm talking this way. But on a cold day, there is nothing like having a steaming hot cup of coffee, right? Everybody loves a hot cup of coffee. I mean, it's wonderful. You get that cup of coffee, the steam comes out of it, right? Man, it's cold. You take that sip, it feels so good. When my wife and I, we, we, we went to this uh, Newport thing where you get on the boat and you look at all the, the Christmas lights, right? Man, nothing feels better when it's ice cold. I mean, that wind is coming off that ocean and it's cold. It's probably 50 degrees out there. Man, you get that hot cup of coffee in your hands. It is heaven, isn't it? You take that sip of hot coffee, oh, it's wonderful. I love it. Now I'm the type of guy that could be 110 degree weather and the hot cup of coffee is awesome, right? I'm just built that way. Now here's my cold cup. You ready? Cold cup. Okay, it's a hot day. 100 degrees. My wife and I were in Palm Springs recently. I was doing a, a, a speaking engagement. I was speaking at a prophecy conference. 113 degree weather out there. When I walked from the hotel room over to the meeting area, my, my throat was already burning because it was so dry. And I told my wife, I'm like, baby, when you go to Starbucks, because the, there was a Starbucks in the hotel there, please get me the biggest cup of cold ice water you can give me. Okay, honey. So she comes, she brings it to me. Oh man, you see the cup, it's filled with ice right? And it's got water all the way to the top. You take the straw, you put the straw in the middle of the ice. You know what I'm talking about? You kind of position in the middle of the ice where the bottom of it is and you just you suck it into your throat and oh, it feels so good. That cold, it takes the burn away and it's, oh, it's so refreshing. Cold water on a hot day. There's nothing better. Nothing! Right? Hmm. Right? Let's say you get that same cold cup of water. It's a hot day. There's only a thin layer of ice at the top. You know, the superficial ice is what I like to call it. I like to call it European ice. You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't really exist. And you've got all the condensation around the cup. And you think you're about to drink a cold cup of water. And you put that water in your mouth and it's at ambient temperature. It's nasty, isn't it? You're like, you know, you just want to spit that nonsense out. Or how about it being a really, really cold day and you still see steam coming out of the cup and you're getting ready to drink your hot cup of coffee and you take a sip and what is it? It's just nasty. 
It's ambient temperature. It's darn near cold. It's just, it, you, ever, you ever had it where you drink it and you, it's, it's such like exact to the room temperature that when you drink it, it doesn't even taste like anything is in your mouth? That's nasty. It's really nasty. Okay, folks, let me explain something to you. Hot and cold are both good. Let me explain this to you. Hot. We talked about the illustration of hot. What's a good example of hot? I'm not going to name people in the church because then that can get a little weird. So I'll name my wife and me. Hot? I'm hot! I'm not like chiseled body hot, even though, you know, whatever. Right? I'm hot! I'm the guy that's, you're asleep, I'm waking you up! We had a, every time I go to a pastor's conference and they ask me to teach, I'm always the guy they want speaking after lunch. Because people get that food in their stomach and they wake up because I'm loud. That's me. My personality is that way. I've never known to be the guy that walks in the room and goes, um, um, uh. I'm not that guy. Right? You make me mad, you're going to know I'm mad. If something's wrong, I'm going to tell you something's wrong. I'm not the shy kind of a person. I am literally hot. There's other pastors very much like me. Great example of another hot guy, Tony Evans. You ever heard Tony Evans preach? He's a wah! I mean, that's the way he is. He's just completely lit up. He's just crazy bouncing off the walls. People look at me with great disappointment when they meet me for the first time. They see me sitting in a mobility scooter or they come to church to hear me preach and they see me sitting on a stool and they're like, Pastor James, I thought you would be bouncing off the walls with how much energy you have. You're hot! The way I am. Now let's talk about cold for a minute. You could freeze a side of beef with how cold my wife is, right? Now, don't take that phrase out of context. <laughs> but Nicole is the epitome of cold, right? I'll, hey! Honey, that's too loud. No, no, please, baby. No, 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 no. You have two people talking, you know, they're having a conversation with one another. The very first time my wife ever saw this, she had a heart attack. She literally wanted to go in a corner and just die for a minute, right? Uh, there's several of the pastors that she looks up to. She's never really had a conversation with. They're all talking in a group, you know. Uh, a few guys, I think it was like Greg Laurie and, um, you know, like two other guys that are always on the radio. She goes, James, they're, they're talking to each other. Don't go and say hi. I'm going to introduce you to them, babe. I want you to meet them. No, they're talking right now. Listen, if I wait until they're done talking, they're never going to be finished talking. Hey, Greg, what's up? You know, they turn around. Hey, what? I walk right in and she's just, <laughs> you know. Because she's the type of person, she'll let them talk and, you know, maybe when they're like, oh, hello, hi, you know. I mean, that's my wife. My wife is completely different. And let me tell you something, you need that kind of cold sometimes, don't you? They see her, listen, you can do no wrong when it comes to my wife. My wife is the type of girl that everybody loves her no matter what. She knows everybody's name. She's, hi, I love you. How are you? Life is good. God is good. That's my wife. She is cold. In the sense that her personality is very subdued. It's although she's very personal and she talks to people all the time and all that kind of stuff, she's very cold in that way. Now, what are some preachers that are like her? One of my all-time favorite, Pastor Chuck. He's as cold as they get. When I listen to Pastor Chuck and I listen to him every day, I've probably heard him teach you the Bible 40 or 50 times. I gotta put him on double speed. 
if it's the C2000 series, I got to put them on almost triple speed. Because if I download a Bible study of Pastor Chuck, it'll be like, turn to Ezekiel. And then you think the internet stopped. Was my LTE not working? Oh, trip out. Chapter 32. Oh my goodness. He's cold. He's a great example of cold. But powerful. Refreshing. Insightful. I mean, different type of personality. People still trip out. I trip out on the fact that I married my wife. I mean, I can't believe she married me with how different our personalities are, right? But they're both very refreshing extremes. Do I love the Lord more than my wife? No. Does she love the Lord more than me? No. We love God with all of our hearts, but it's represented in different personalities. I remember when I first started doing men's ministry, I would get frustrated with guys. You know, a guy walks up to me still to this day. There is nothing more disgusting than a guy walking up to me and handing me a limp hand when I go shake his hand. You ever had that happen? He, was a, he, 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 just, hands his, he just shakes his hand over like this and, you, and it feels like you're shaking something that's dead. It's disgusting, right? I'd go up to a guy that would hand me a limp hand back in the day, but man up! Squeeze my hand like you want to break it. Come on! You know what I mean? And, and guys like, oh, I'm so sorry, Pastor James. You know, and you just, oh my goodness. And God began to convict me. He said, James, I give you these brothers with different personalities, different speech impediments, different talks, different ways of life. You'll have some guys that are just rough and tough. Let's go fire off a few rounds and praise God. And you have other guys that are like, oh, goodness. Right? <laughs> They're two completely different personalities. What makes them a man is not whether or not they're as tough as I think they should be or they have the personality that they should be. What makes them a man is do they love Jesus Christ with all of their heart. If they love Jesus Christ with all their heart, then you know what? Praise God. You go do you. Right? You know, I don't want a bunch of guys running around in men's ministry acting like Pastor James. If that was the case, oh, God, help us all. <laughs> right? I want us all to be different. Hot and cold represents different characteristics. Folks, Jesus Christ, from a theological perspective, would never say that he wished you hated him or you loved him. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. By the way, you know the only other time the Greek word for cold is used here, that Greek word suchros, the only other time it's used, I believe, is in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus says, if you give a cold cup of water to one of these little ones, such as the kingdom. It's that passage. It's the only other time in the Greek New Testament where it's used. So, we are not talking about someone who hates God or somebody who loves God. These are both very good things. God desires for us to be extreme in our relationship. That's what it means to be extreme. So what does the middle mean? The middle means this. The middle does not mean on the fence. The middle means apathetic. It means you don't care. It means you just cruise through life being status quo. I'm going to show up to church because that's what we do. We dress up nice. We go to church. We say a few hallelujah, amen, praise it to you type things. And we go home. That's exactly what it looks like. And by the way, folks, when a church becomes lukewarm, it is so sad and it so breaks the heart of God. And before any of us get on our high horse and actually say that thank God we're not like them, so on and so forth, let me just tell you, in these last days, I'm seeing it more than I've ever seen it before. Dare I say that there are some Calvary chapels? Calvary chapels who are living 
in the lukewarm world. Found myself three weeks ago when we were doing the church remodel, looking at the building next door and the landowner's people, the landowner's people getting ready for the new tenant that was going to move in. The negotiation completely fell apart. What the guy wanted was unreasonable. I believe the building owner didn't even want us in there. He wanted us to give him a half a million dollar deposit and um, uh, wanted all kinds of really unreasonable things and we told him to get lost. As I was watching preparations being made next door, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, man, Lord, what is going on? Do you know the need? You know that we need to expand. This is, you know, we're, we've got problems that, that we can't solve unless we have a bigger space. I mean, Lord, what's going to happen? And God just reminded me of a few things. He reminded me of how comfortable we've become. You know, when I started Calvary Chapel Signal Hill almost 15 years ago, I remember God putting it upon my heart to do something like this. I remember crying and praying and fasting an almost 700 pound man and being on my knees saying, God, will you intervene and stir the hearts of the people of Signal Hill? I remember going door to door, banging on the doors and asking people to come to church. I used to remember before a Sunday service going, God, draw your people in here and watching God do this great work. I remember a time when, when we needed a computer, we would be on our knees. We would say, Lord, please provide this computer. We so desperately need it. We would need a microphone. We would say, God, we don't have the money to do this. God, will you do this? I used to remember every step that we took, especially when God took away my health and took away everything else and he forced me to be on my knees. We were begging him. We would have prayer meetings that would just like blow people's mind. It was, it'd be like four people and we would get together and we would pray and we would fast for something as simple as a set of chairs. We hit the fast forward button. We remodeled the church building. Hey, it's wonderful. It's great. But there's not a lot of prayer that goes into God. Will you please provide because we have a healthy system now. We have a relatively large church. We have a radio ministry that's all over the world, not just the country anymore. We have a work that God has been doing that's been substantial. There's a system we can fall back on. We're not having to worry about the next paycheck or we're not having to worry about paying the rent. There's so many things that have become easy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're still praying and we're still saying, Lord, will you please provide? And Lord, will you please do this? But it's so easy to get to a point where you are, were on fire early on and you were saying, God, help us. Lord, do this work. Lord, change the world around us. And getting to the point where now we're just so worried about what other people think and we're worried about you know what we're gonna say and we hope we don't offend anybody and we're worried about all the other stupid things that people get caught up in and we become lukewarm we don't care anymore about what it means to be extreme and refreshing we only care about the status quo and we get comfortable and we get so comfortable i mean so comfortable that it's just so easy to blow everything else off oh we got a problem here let's throw money at it that person struggling over there, let's call another person to go help them. And it's very easy to be the pastor of this church and to work myself into a place where there's no brokenness anymore. 
where I just simply say, you know what? It's all going to work out. When in the back of my mind, I think it's going to work out because of my hustle. I think it's going to work out because of my manipulation. I think it's going to work out because of my ability. When in reality, I know full well down the depths of my heart that the only reason why it's working out is because of the Spirit of God. I mean, do you understand how many things could go wrong that could just destroy everything in one foul swoop? And yet, for whatever reason, as the people of God, we don't look at things with the same kind of fervency anymore. We don't look at things with the same kind of expectation. God told me in that parking lot, why aren't you begging me? Why aren't you fasting? Why aren't you praying for me to open up a door far bigger than anything that you can imagine? Listen, the Spirit of God is not going to intervene within a church that thinks they have their act together because they choose not to be broken as a result of their lack of willingness to be uncomfortable. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's the problem with the big buildings that have 3,000 people that are housing them. That's the problem with the environments that are continuing to grow. Listen, is it my hope and my prayer that we'll have an infrastructure like that where we can minister to thousands of people all at one time? Of course it's my prayer. But the bigger prayer behind that is, Lord, help me to never be Luke Woman. Help me to never settle for status quo. See, Guys, our heart needs to be to recognize where things really are. And that is we must depend upon the Spirit of God to do that work rather than be so comfortable. And that's what it's like. That's what happens. People, listen, this is a business principle. You see this all the time. You see people that are hungry to be able to make a good living for their families. Now they have a good living for their families and they're settled. Their hunger is gone. The desire for improvement is gone. There's no, there's nothing moving. And listen, that's what happens to us spiritually. If the only thing that motivates us as the body of Christ here in Signal Hill is to see success in numbers and growth, then the very moment we achieve success in numbers and growth is the very moment we experience failure through our lukewarm heart. Because there's nothing else driving us. Why is it? Why is it that when we have evangelism times that get together, we have them two times a month, that only one man oftentimes goes out and runs through the streets to do it. You should have 30 people, 40 people, 100 people. We should be excited and motivated. But instead, we've become part of the establishment. We've become a part of the system. Guys, we need to start becoming that refreshing extreme all over again. To be you. Do who you, do you, right? God wants you to be your personality, but he wants you to be your personality with a huge love and desire for him. Look what he goes to say, and this counsel is heavy. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, I have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Notice that. Isn't that what happens? 
Look at the church around us. God has blessed us. We have a wonderful building. We have a nice, comfortable environment. Look at everything that God's given us. We're wonderful. We're in great shape. Things are never better than they ever have. And God says, nope, you're wretched. You're poor. You're miserable. You're blind. You're naked. Because you forgot to see where that blessing all came from. And you forgot to glorify God in that. You forgot to look at that. And that is so true. And if you don't believe me, guys, look at the world around us. Do you know the number one religious website in the world right now? And by the way, number one for religious websites and ranked, I want to say, either 10 or 15, 10 or 15 worldwide of all the websites that exist, jw.org. jw.org. They're rich. They're powerful. Look at the Catholic Church. Same thing. But is there life there? No. Poor, broken, wretched, miserable. All of that. Dare I say that about Calvary Chapel? Dare I say that it's getting to that point? May that never be the story of us. May that never be the story of us. Look what he says to do. This is the counsel that he gives. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. I love this. Look what he says here at the very beginning. He says, to buy what? To buy of me gold tried in the fire. That means something that's been tried, something that's been trued. You know, we have this running joke, and no offense to you younger people, because of course we want you younger people serving in the church here. But lately, me, my sister, my wife, we've been joking around, and we're, we've, been, we've been making this one joke. We, we've been saying this. We're like, from now on, we'll never let anybody join the ministry unless they're 45 years of age or older. <laughs> it's, been, it's been the running joke. You want to know why? Because most people who want to get involved in ministry who's past that age are beat up people. You know what I mean when I say that? They're broken. They've been through the trials of life. They've been through the difficulties. They're the cancer survivors. They're the ones who survived their children. They're the ones that have been through all kinds of things that have tried them and that fire has burned hot and nothing but pure gold has come out of that. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, we need the young bloods. We definitely need you young kids around here. It's very, very important. But the gold is not as refined, unfortunately. Right? The gold is just a little different. You're getting refined, and that's good. And we need you. If we don't have you around, we don't have the young people around, man, we're in big trouble. This church will start to die if that's the case. But the whole idea here, Jesus is saying, come to me. Look, I'm the real deal. Don't go get satisfaction somewhere else. Don't go, get, don't, don't go find your, your, your peace in doing this or doing that. Don't, don't, don't find it in your, in your groups that you get into. Don't find, come and find it in me. You need to find it in me. Find it in my word. Seek me out. That's what Jesus is saying here. And when he says putting on that raiment that covers up your nakedness, that white raiment, what he's talking about is he's talking about his robe of righteousness. He's talking about come to him, lean on his salvation right? Understand that his salvation covers you and brings you the peace that we so desperately need. That's exactly what he's talking about. When he says, anoint thine eyes with eye salve, in other words, what you need to do is get all the caca out of your eyes, right? Get the boogers out of your eyes. What does he mean when he say the boogers? Meaning, get rid of the things that are preventing you from seeing clearly. 
and begin to ask God to open your eyes to see what reality is. Look for his perspective in these things. One of my favorite stories is the story of the prophet as he's in bed, you know, and, and if you remember the story, uh, the king is very, very angry at this prophet. And the reason why he's angry at this prophet is because he finds out that God is speaking to this prophet. And as God is speaking to this prophet, he's telling everything that the king is saying, even to his wife in bed, you know. And so the king basically says, go, he sends a big old crowd, a massive army, he says, you go get the prophet, you know. So he goes over there and the prophet's asleep and he's kind of chilling out in the morning. And so the assistant of the prophet looks at the, you know, hears all the commotion. He runs out the door, he goes out to the front and he sees this massive army coming for him, right? And he's freaked out and he goes to his master and he goes, hey, hey, the armies are coming. They're going to kill us. We don't die. And he's freaked out. And the prophet just uh, uh, sleeping. Lord, just show him what I see. Just show him what's really going on. Go out there for a minute. Kid goes back out there. And he sees the armies of the Lord surrounding the building, right? He sees the one, he sees just angels surrounding the whole place. One angel killed 185,000 elite Assyrian soldiers overnight. Imagine you see tons of angels around, and he goes back just okay. <laughs> That's great. Wow, right? Clear out your eyes. Ask God to give you His perspective on what's actually going on out there. Look at it from His point of view. You look at it from God's perspective, it changes everything, doesn't it? Notice what he says. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Why? God loves us, so he rebukes us, he chastens us, right? One of the biggest insults I've been given before as a pastor, and I hear this a lot. They come to me and they say, you hate me and you don't care about me because all you do is pick on me. And my favorite thing to tell them is, you arrogant fool. I pick on you and I'm on you because I have overwhelming love for you. I think about my dad and I think about how my dad and my mom disciplined me on a regular basis. You know what I realize now that I'm an older man? I realize, or older than I was when I was a child, I realize how much work goes into disciplining children. It's hard. Yeah, amen. That's the right time to say amen, by the way, Marilyn. I'll just tell you right now. Amen. You're right. It is hard work to discipline children. You got to stay on them. You got to be on. See, she's listening. That's how you know someone's listening, right? You gotta be on them. It's not, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for lazy people. Jesus says, I discipline you because I love you. And did you notice the command that he gives? He says, therefore, be repent. And then how does he describe repenting? He says, be zealous. What does that mean? That means be hot or cold. <laughs> Those are two refreshing extremes, right? Go back and be hot or cold. Whoever God made you. Listen, we have men in this church that are colder than cold can be. There's one brother in this room that I could think about. He is about as cold as cold gets. He is not a loud person. He's not an aggressive person. He doesn't have a loud voice. He's very mild-mannered. He's calm. But if you look, for a cold man, he's on fire, right? Don't get anywhere near him because the Spirit of God is all over him, right? We have lots of guys like that. We have guys that are the same kind of, ah! And they've got that same fire in them. Do you and be zealous for the Lord. Notice what he says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And 
And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And notice what he says. He says, I will sup with him and he with me. You know, in the Middle East, supping is having dinner with somebody is a very, very intimate act. We don't do it this way anymore because of the European influence, you know, in the United States. But if you go into a Middle Eastern home, like even my home, my dad's home, you know, go to a Middle Eastern home, you have all the food put out in front of you, right? They have all the little bowls of salads and the, and the dips and all that kind of stuff. You take a loaf of bread, you tear it in half, you give part of that bread to somebody else, and then they tear it in half and they give a part to somebody else. And then you take your, your, your bread and you dip it in the dip and you eat it. And then yes, you double dip and you do it again. And, you know, and, and in the Middle Eastern home, you don't see this European nonsense where they take the fork and they, <clears throat> they put it on the plate. Have any gray poupon by any chance? All that. We don't do that nonsense. You could just come back from working on a, working on a car and have oil in your hands. And guess what? I'm eating some oil if someone hands me a loaf of bread. It's part of our culture. The idea is, is when you dip and I dip and we dip in the same thing and it's double dip, a little bit of saliva you don't even know about. It comes in. You listen to this. Listen. Listen to this. You're all grossed out, but listen to how beautiful this is. You are internalizing a part of the other person. It's an act of intimacy. So when I tell you to come over my house and break bread with me, you're having dinner in my home. It is perhaps one of the most intimate things I can do with another person. And Jesus says, I'm knocking at your door. And if you're willing to open the door, I'll come in and I'll have, I'll sup with you. In other words, we're going to be close. It's not going to be a guest that sits in the sitting room and that's it. No, it doesn't work that way. If you're, listen, today in my household with Nicole, I make something very, very clear. If anybody gets invited to my home, they, it is, they know my intention is for them to be close with. They come to my home, they're close to me. I'm not going to let anybody in my home that I don't want to be close with. I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'm not the type of person that's going to have a stranger walk into my home. I, my home is a sanctuary to be protected, right? So if somebody's coming into my home and they're staying in my home and I'm, and I'm taking, and, I, and we're, even if we're having a cup of tea together, it's intimate to me. It's special to me. It means something. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want to have that intimacy with you. You just got to let me in. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcome and am set down with my father in his, in his throne. He that hath it here, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. So this is what the exhortation is. The exhortation is to do those things that we will overcome together with the Lord, with the power of the Spirit of God. Listen, folks, I'm going to say this, and I want you to, to not forget what I'm about to tell you. I believe that God wants to do far greater things than what he's already done with this church and with the people in this church. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I think he's going to give us a building one day. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I think he's going to continue to expand the work of the ministry. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know that the gospel is going to be preached even more. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I do know this. I know that if you, the body of Christ, will join me in being hot and cold and ridding ourselves of the lukewarm mindset that says we've arrived, we are gonna watch the Spirit of God do amazing things. And guess what? You and I are gonna be a part of it. Amen? amen? See, that's a good time to say amen, right? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And that's our prayer, God, that we would be people whose fire is lit, Lord, that we would walk around with our cold or with our hot, but whatever it is, Lord, that we would be those that represent just refreshing extremes for your glory. 
So Lord, we love you, Father. Go before us, fill us with your spirit. Keep us in that place of looking to you that we would seek you all the days of our lives, Lord. We love you, Father. We thank you. Go before us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.